Thank you very much, choir. As we think about the cross, we think about glory. There's an insert in the bulletin, Roaring Brook Pursuing God's Glory. Ephesians 13b and 14, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our future inheritance, or our inheritance under the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Our life's redemption, forgiveness, reconciliation is all centered in God and his glory. And that should be our passion each day, a deep, deep concern about God and his glory. In way of announcements, you have a thing called the bulletin. If you didn't get one, grab one on the way out. They're all there. Uh, we'll let you read. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for Christ is coming among us, taking upon himself human form so that he could become obedient to death, even death on a cross. But as we read earlier, we know that he did not remain in the grave. He arose victorious. He ascended to you, Father, and he is our great high priest today. As we reflect on what is available through Christ, what we have in Christ, may we be attentive to hear, to respond for your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Just a couple of thought questions, not looking for you to respond verbally. Is the physical death of Christ vital in our, re, our reconciliation and our salvation? Is the physical death of Christ vital in our reconciliation and salvation? And whatever your answer, I would ask, why? A second question is the bodily resurrection of Christ important? Is the bodily resurrection of Christ important? And whatever your answer, why? What did the death and resurrection of Christ accomplish for the repentant, believing sinner who becomes a saint when they come to faith in Christ? What did the death, resurrection of Christ accomplish or the repentant, believing sinner who becomes a saint at faith in Christ. To lay the groundwork for what we're considering this morning, the last two weeks we discussed sin coming from Romans 1.18 through chapter 3 and verse 20. A big overview, you could have taken weeks in the, that passage. And we define sin as being missing the mark of a relationship with God, that is the creator God, and missing the mark of contentment in obedience. And Paul makes a charge in Romans 3 and verse 9 that all have sinned. All miss the mark of a relationship with God, fellowship with God, and contentment and obedience. We also looked at sin because of the character, the very being in Romans three ten through 12, of the human race having no fellowship, 
no relationship with God, not being content in obedience, what happens? Their character thinking, their words and actions miss the mark. They fall short. They claim I'm in control and results in being self-centered. Scripture clearly communicates we commit sins because we're separated from a relationship, fellowship with the Creator God. We do not become a sinner because we commit sins. We commit sins because we are a sinner. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, and in a few moments we'll read together verses 12 through 21. In the context of Romans chapter 5, we find in chapter 1, 18 through 23, Paul has discussed sin, the fact that people do not respond to God's revelation. They don't give thanks to him. And then in chapter 3, 9 through 18, Paul made the charge that all are under sin. And sin basically means to miss the mark of a relationship, fellowship with God. In light of that being true of humanity, in Romans 3.21, we find that Paul says there is a righteousness from God available. That's through faith. That is faith in Christ and what he has done. And in verse 24, he says, grace and redemption came through Christ Jesus. Then in chapter 3 and verse 24 and 425, he talks about the fact that justification is available. In fact, he says, Christ was raised for our justification. With those thoughts in mind, let's pick up with reading Romans 5 and verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man... And death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin was not taken into account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even to those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the obedience of one man, the many were made sinners, 
So also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You read this passage and it may seem difficult in some ways to comprehend by human reasoning. If we accept it in humble faith, it is not so much an issue of making sense to us, but accepting what is said because we don't always reason like God does. We come to Christ by faith. We live by faith. We do not have the ability to always explain God and his entirety, but yet we trust him. Paul says in Romans 11, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or understood him? So sometimes we read scripture and we say, I can't grasp it. I can't fully understand God. That's okay. We don't have to fully understand him. If we could then he would cease to be God or we have become like him. But yet as we think about this passage and the reconciliation that is available, just a couple of thoughts to keep in mind. The action of one influences many. Adam's sin influenced the entire human race. The action of one, Christ, provides reconciliation, justification for sinners. Adam was not an island. Christ was not an island. Also helpful in understanding is the painful reality of death is central to the passage. Death touches all mankind without interruption and without exception. According to an oriental proverb, and I quote, the black camel death kneeleth once at each door, And each mortal must mount to return nevermore. As one who was fully human and fully God, Christ experienced death. Death comes due to no effort on our part. Life comes due to no effort on our part. And that's made very clear in the passage. We may argue that we were not present when Adam sinned, so why should we be sinful? Nor were we present when Christ died and arose. That is, bodily present. It's not fair to be born guilty of Adam's sin, we might say. We didn't ask to be born. Neither is it fair that the sinless Son of God suffered the reality of death on behalf of all mankind. It's only because God is gracious and forgiving and not merely just that we can be saved. So you think about this passage. Habakkuk had a problem in understanding God. At first he couldn't understand why God did not bring revival to the chosen people of Israel and he cried out to God, How long, 
O Lord, who I call for help and thou wilt not hear. I cry out to thee violence, yet thou dost not save. Even less could, could he understand that God would punish his own people through the hands of the Chaldeans or Babylonians who were pagans and immeasurably more wicked than the Israelites. Thine eyes are too pure to approve evil, the prophet reminded the Lord. And thou canst not look on wickedness with favor. Why dost thou look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why art thou silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Finally realizing that the Lord's ways are beyond human comprehension, Habakkuk testifies, though the fig tree should not blossom, and there should be no fruit in the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the field produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there should be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exalt in my Lord. I will rejoice in God my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. Habakkuk understood, even though he could not fully explain God, he needed to trust God. And as we read and think about Romans chapter 5, 12 through 21 briefly, you say, I just can't maybe put it together like I would desire to. That's okay. But get the general gist of it. He talks about being in Adam. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin... And in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. And then he talks about Adam. It's through Adam what came, sin. Hamartia, the missing the mark, the lack of a relationship, a fellowship with God. Adam and Eve having communion with God, they chose to disobey God. And what happened? No relationship, no fellowship with God, no delight in simply obeying. Missing the mark of that relationship, fellowship with God. The text clearly states Adam is involved. Verse 14, nevertheless, death, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. In verse 15, but the gift is not like the trespass. The trespass referring again to Adam. In verse 16, again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. Referring again to Adam. It's through Adam that sin came into the world. We today tend to think of an individual mindset. The Eastern mindset even today is not an individual mindset, but a community mindset. So when Paul writes, as Israel was thinking, one man affects everyone, they would have grasped that more easily than we do. Achan took something that should not have been taken from Jericho, and the entire nation was influenced. The next time they went into battle, to battle at Ai, because of one man's sin, they lost the battle and some people died. 
So he's talking about how one influences all. Adam's sin, Paul says, his trespass. Trespass is a conscious crossing of a divinely appointed boundary. God said, here's a boundary. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And what did Adam do? He consciously stepped across that. A trespass. What happens? Because of his trespass, condemnation comes in the entire race. Again, the gift of God in verse 16 is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. But condemnation as a result of disobedience. Human race being placed in the ghouly light. The human race being under judgment. The human race being separated from relationship and fellowship with God. So what happens? Verse 12 and verse 19 says all have sinned. Verse 19, for just as through the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners. So through the obedience of one man, many will be made righteous. And that brought death. Spiritual death. Separation of Adam and Eve from God. Human beings today, by nature, separated from a relationship, fellowship with God. It also brought eternal death. A lack of a response to God, lack of faith in God, in Christ. Eternal separation, but also brought physical death. As made clear in Genesis Chapter 5. If we stop there, we would say it's a pretty dismal picture. But Paul is contrasting what he has already stated in chapters 1, 2, and 3. All are sinful. What he says in the end of chapter 3 and in the chapter 4, that there's a justification available. He says, through Christ, there's a gift. Verse 15 of Romans 5, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of one man, how many more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Grace. We say grace is free. Grace is not free. You say it's, if it's grace... It's a gift. It has to be free. But someone had to pay for the penalty for sin. You will occasionally come across someone saying, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. We receive grace. but it is available because of the price that Christ paid. So sometimes a guy, usually that's a norm in our culture, is going to ask a gal to marry him, and he will ask, and then he'll offer a diamond. And the gal may say, yes. And she gets a diamond 
free of charge to her. But he had to pay for it. Christ offers a gift, grace. But it came at an expense. As verses 15, 17, 19, and 21 bring out. In verse 17, for if by the trespass of one man death reigned through one man, how much more more will those receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? Adam brought condemnation. Christ brings a gift. It's through his act of righteousness, his act of of obedience that righteousness is available. Notice in verse 18, consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. You say, I don't deserve to be an Adam. I don't deserve to be condemned. I don't deserve to be separated from a relationship with God because of Adam. Nor do we deserve to be righteous because of the one act of Christ. But that's the way God planned it. So what happens? Because of Christ's obedience, his act of righteousness, verses 16, 17, 18, and 19, make it very clear that justification is possible. Verse 16, again, the gift is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. And the idea of justification is to declare righteous, to be seen in Christ, dressed in his righteousness. And again, that's possible because of Christ, his death, his resurrection, And then Paul says, verses 17 and 21, that there can be a reign in life through Jesus Christ. How much more at the end of verse 17? Will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life? Now, but not only now, in the future through one man, Jesus Christ. At the end of verse 21, to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And please keep in mind that eternal life is not merely an eternal destiny. Eternal life is a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus, with the Spirit of God in the present. John 17, 1 through 4 makes that very clear. Eternal life is now and future. It is Christ's death and resurrection which enables a repentant, believing sinner to be placed in Christ. So when one is in Christ, according to Romans 6, we won't discuss the passage, but merely mention a couple of things. One is placed into Christ. The word baptized means to be placed into. The repentant, believing sinner is placed into Christ. United with Christ in his death and his resurrection. When Christ died, 
we die with him. When Christ came from the dead, we came from the dead with him. Romans 6 also says that we died to sin in Christ. Now think about that. Died to sin. Separated from sin. Separated from this no relationship with God, no fellowship with God. We come into a relationship with God. Separated from the power of sin where we can say no to the many temptations that come. Not only dead to sin, but alive to God. In Christ Jesus. We have so much in Christ. Or if you haven't come to Christ, you can have so much in Christ. We come to him through repentance of sin and faith in Christ. In Christ... The sinner goes from slavery to sin to slavery to righteousness. We have a righteousness from God. In Christ, we move from slavery to sin to slavery to righteousness for God's glory. I'm going to try to illustrate it if my illustration works. Here I have a bowl of yucky stuff. There's some ground, there's some leaves, there's some grass, there's some coffee grounds, and so on. And here you are. Here I am. We're sinners. So we're going to put them. This bowl represents being dead in sin. A little too uh, plasticky for good, but... I'll do the trick. So we're dead. We're given to sin. We come to repentance and faith in Christ. What happens? We're placed into Christ. His blood purifies us, cleanses us from our sin. Okay? With that salvation, with that cleansing... We move from being in Adam to being in Christ. And Scripture makes it very clear that we are sealed in Christ. We're secure in Christ, not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done. So now we're in Christ, but yet we still live in the world. And that this bowl of colored water represents living in the world, but dead to sin and alive to God. Because we're secure in Christ. We talk about the resurrection. We're talking about death, burial, resurrection, his being seen, his being raised, or uh, going to his father, so that we can be taken from being dead in sin, separated from God, messed up, cleansed in the blood of Christ. We still live in the world but secure in Christ. Just a couple applications. In Romans 5, 15, the power of sin, which is death, can be broken. But the power of Christ, which is salvation, cannot be broken. 
The power of sin, which is death, can be broken. But the power of Christ, which is salvation, cannot be broken. Adam's action influenced the entire human race. Christ's obedience to the cross influences the entire human race. One, influencing many, Adam and Christ. There is no solution for sin, hemartia, the Greek word, other than Christ. That is faith, repentance of sin, faith in Christ and what he has done. It's through Christ. The entire human race is in Adam. Thus, they can produce only that which comes from no relationship, fellowship with God. This from, thus, selfish rather than for God's glory. Lack of information or education or answers is not the problem. Sin is the problem. Nothing wrong in giving answers, giving information, responding to people's questions. That's good. But it's still an issue of Christ that has to deal with our being over here in this bowl, separated from a relationship and fellowship with God. Coming to Christ, being cleansed, and then forgiven. We move from being in Adam to in Christ through repentance of sin and faith in Christ. We trust in the action, the obedience of another. It's Jesus Christ, not our own effort. It is by grace. An old tale speaks of a man who died and faced the angel Gabriel. And again, this is a tale. It illustrates a point. Faced the angel Gabriel at heaven's gate. Said the angel to the man, here's how this works. You need a hundred points to make it into heaven. You tell me all the good things that you've done, and I will give you a certain number of points for each of them. The more good there is in the work that you cite, the more points you will get for it. When you get up to a hundred points, you get in. Okay, the man said. I was married to the same woman for 50 years and never cheated on her, even in my heart. That's wonderful, said Gabriel. That's worth three points. Three points, said the man with alarm. Well, I attended church all my life and supported its ministry with my money and service. Terrific, said great Gabriel. That's worth a point. One point, said the man, and his eyes beginning to show a little bit of panic. Well, how about this? I opened a shelter for the homeless in my city and fed needy people by hundreds during the holidays. Fantastic. That's good for two points, said the angel. Two points, cried the man in desperation. At this rate, the only way I'll get into heaven is by the grace of God. Come on in, said Gabriel.
because of the great disproportion between our best works and God's true holiness, we can't trade our righteousness for God's favor. We can offer all that we want, but it still comes from the lack of a relationship and fellowship with God. It's by faith in what Christ has done that we're placed into Christ. We remain in the world, but secure in Christ. My simple question, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? The resurrection makes it possible to be moved from Adam to in Christ. Where are you? I can't answer for you, nor can you answer for me. If you're still in Adam, why not today come to faith in Christ? If you're in Christ, then as you live in the world but secure in Christ, delight in and enjoy Christ. Let's sing together as we close our service in Christ.